Paleo Runner Podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click Ratings and Reviews. You can also follow me on Facebook.com slash RunPaleo or on Twitter at RunPaleo. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates to use as a fuel source. Unlike sugar sports drinks, 3Fuel gets absorbed slowly into your bloodstream to give you sustained energy throughout your workout. If you'd like to give it a try, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening through the podcast app on iPhone, click the link displayed on the app right now. My guest today is John Smith from the Fit Fat Fast podcast. John is a certified metabolic efficiency training specialist who has a passion for teaching others how to maximize their performance in sport by changing by changing their diet. John, it's great to have you on the show. My pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Appreciate yeah. you taking the time. Yeah, John, it's great to be talking with you today. You know, I listen to your podcast a lot, and it's got a lot of really good information on there, and you've got great guests. But I wanted to get into a little bit about your background and how you got into this idea of eating more fat to actually lose weight. It seems counterintuitive, but what's your story? So I'll, I'll, I'll try and make a long story kind of short. I was I grew up as just kind of your standard kid, uh, two or three sport athlete growing up. Uh, nothing, you know, nothing. Uh, I wasn't some spectacular athlete. I was just a normal kid uh, and started putting a little bit of weight on in college after high school uh, and after college. I kind of said, wait, let me before I, you know, before I become the, the standard American that puts 10 pounds on a decade, let me go ahead and do something about this. And in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, I got into long distance running. You know, the traditional story, 5Ks become 10Ks, 10Ks become half marathons, half marathons become marathons and so on. And at that time, I was just kind of eating what I thought to be a, a healthy diet, uh, whole grains and kind of a, a good mix of carbs and fats and proteins. But I, you know, I was still, I was, I, I wasn't thin, but I wasn't a big guy by any stretch. Mm-hmm. And started getting into triathlon and started getting into longer and longer distance triathlons. And still, though, had a like when I was on my training, I was still a predominantly sixty to seventy percent probably carbohydrate-driven athlete in training. And all of my sports nutrition products were all sugar, 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 sugar-based. Uh, I was a big goo guy. Um, everything, you know, dinner, dinner was, uh, the, the, like dinner before a long run was just a bowl of plain pasta with some marinara sauce, no protein and no fats or anything. And, and it, it seemed to work for me. It, it, it worked okay. I didn't notice that it worked against me, but I had something happen to me in 2005 and it was a pretty catastrophic event that you know, a lot of people heard of, obviously, uh, Hurricane Katrina hit down in southern Louisiana and I had a, a retail business that I owned that was that went underwater and you know under a little bit of water and uh my wife and I were displaced from our home we had to we moved to another city uh for a few years Baton Rouge which is about an hour down the road I opened up a second business there while I reopened my business in New Orleans and so my training got really derailed and I kind of responded to the stress of this whole thing by just letting my diet go to go to garbage and I didn't notice maybe the first 10 or 15 pounds and then from there you kind of don't notice the 15 or 20 pounds after that and uh you know I was I was trying to I had a lot of young kids that were working with me you know 22 23 year old kids and I was trying to eat you know like them <laughs> because they're they're going and they're getting you know whatever they want I'm like yeah give me the 
you know, going to going to George's for lunch. Get me the double roast beef po' boy and cheese fries. You know, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, to kind of you know bring it back around by from 2005 to 2000 to the end of 2008, I'd actually put on 100 pounds. So here I was, I was a, a medium framed long distance triathlete that in the span of three years had put on 100 pounds, and I was uh, I was looking at myself in the mirror on New Year's Eve uh, in, in 2000. Eight. And I'm like, holy mother of God, Like, what? how have I let this happen? And so I made a, a resolution right then and there that I was going to become healthy again. I was going to find fitness. And uh, and I started doing all the old things that I knew how to do. I started with my all my old training regimen, uh, all of my old uh, uh, nutritional practices, and, and everything kind of went back into place. And so just by virtue of me just moving, you know, just just getting off the sofa and, and, and going out and running, going out and riding a bike, being in the pool, uh, doing some 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 uh, some minor strength exercises, just by moving, I took off probably about twenty or twenty five pounds, mm-hmm. and I did a but but that was I was just stuck. I was probably stuck at a good two seventy because I was I was kissing three hundred pounds at one point. And so I'm, I was stuck at a good 270, and I just couldn't budget. And I'm looking at pictures of myself doing a half Ironman that first year at 270 pounds, and I was that fat triathlete, you know, the guy that comes in at a half Ironman in seven hours and change, you know, just under the cutoff line. Like, I, I was that guy. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, I'm like, look, so- something's not working because I'm working as hard as I've ever worked, and the weight's just not coming off. And so at the time, I went searching for some nutritional information, and I came across guys like Rich Roll, uh, uh, guys like um, Robert Cheek, the, the vegan athlete crowd, and I figured, well, this makes perfect sense. I'm going to, you know, the, the, the getting off of meat part of it uh, makes perfect sense. I'm going to be a vegan, and I'll be a healthy guy, and I'll look like Rich Roll, right? Because that's how it works. Right. <laughs> So, uh, but the good thing is, is that I started eating a vegan diet and the weight just, just shred off of me. Um, a lot of, uh, and the more vegan I ate, the more raw vegan I ate and weight was just coming off of me. And I thought, well, this is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I started doing Ironman. So I started, uh, I made a commitment to start doing some Ironmans. I signed up for Ironman Florida. I did that. I signed up for Ironman Louisville. I did that. And this whole time, I'm losing weight, right? The scale's going down. The scale's going down, and I'm feeling better than I have in a long time because all this weight's come off. At one point, I, you know, I, I hit that hundred-pound loss and then some. So I'd taken off all that weight that I gained, and then I had lost even more. But I noticed that around my second year of being a vegan and my second year of training for Ironmans, that I started to get sick when I wasn't getting sick before, and, and more importantly, my body composition never really changed. Like I was. I was always that skinny fat guy. Like I, even though I was down to a uh, to a waist uh, to to a weight rather that I hadn't been since high school, my body composition still didn't look right. Like you looked at some race pictures and I still looked kind of fat, and and my 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 I had visceral abdominal fat still even though I had lost all this weight. Mm-hmm. And I noticed yeah. that especially in Ironman Louisville that I just I, I didn't I couldn't fuel myself. I just didn't have any more gas in, in the tank. And I thought well maybe just my long distance sports days are over and i had been kind of hearing about the principles of metabolic efficiency from guys like bob c bahar um i kind of uh, heard ben greenfield kind of start talking about it um and then i picked up um uh, the volick and this uh, jeff volick's book uh, uh 
the the name that uh, I can art kind of off science the of low carb performance. Yeah, yeah, not the not the living, but the performance one. Okay. Um, and, and then I subsequently bought the the, the the art and science of low carbohydrate living after that, uh, even though I think the performance one, is, I think, is the better of the two books. Regardless, I started I started to to look at all this, and I thought, you know what? Let me just give myself thirty days. Let me give it a month. If I give it a month, what about what have I lost? You know, I really I won't do any damage in a month. Right. And so I slowly, slowly started eating meat again, uh, but I was very careful about it. If, and, and I'll talk about it before we get off about how being a vegan, how being a raw food vegan has informed me being uh, a, a, an omnivore again, and it's made me a better. It's, it's made my diet better. But so I go with the with the the high fat, low carb, almost no carb approach for a month, and in one month I had more energy. And more stamina and more endurance than I'd had in previous years, and all the previous years, you know, with all the weight loss, mm. within one month, my my this that little pad of visceral abdominal fat had shrunk, uh, my waist size had shrunk uh, to a point where I hadn't it hadn't been since I was a junior in high school, and 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 more importantly, I felt especially when I was running, so long as I stayed in a math zone, so long as I as I paid attention to my heart rate and didn't go out and do anything crazy. I could run forever. I could just pick up out of the door and go and run for two or two and a half hours on a glass of water and come in and not feel the need to eat everything in the house. Wow. And wow. so, yeah, and, and you know, so it, it was a little bit like, like kind of uh, like when I was in college, a friend of mine was a lifeguard, and we used to break into the natatorium at night after we had been to the bars, and uh, the natatorium was pitch black, and we'd jump off the 10-meter platform into the into the pool. And uh, <laughs> I, would, I didn't break a bone, I don't know. But doing this was almost like that. It was it was like taking a leap off of a 10-meter platform into a dark pool that you don't know what's going to happen. And thankfully, the results were were have been outstanding so far. And from there, I started to modify things. I started to tweak things. I started to experiment with things. And... After over a year now, I've I've kind of settled into a uh, into a way of eating, and this is not an original line of mine. There's a guy Kelly Starrett, uh, who's a, a a big voice in this in this community, uh, and he has a, a saying that he is a whole food vegan, add meat, <laughs> and that's and that's pretty much where I am right now. I mean, I'm a I am a carnivorous vegan uh, with sixty percent, fifty to sixty percent of my diet as as uh, a saturated animal fats or uh, or medium chain triglycerides in the form of MCT oil or coconut oil or uh, or the only other added fat I'll have sometimes a little is a little uh, palm oil uh, or uh, grass-fed butter mm -hmm. and but but by and large it is I mean by by volume by volume and weight 80% of what I eat is leafy greens and fresh vegetables um, and then because by weight fat's not that much and so the balance is uh, is is uh, animal protein and uh, and fats, okay. and and the and the results and and so I just did Ironman Wisconsin this past year on about twenty five percent of the calories of the supplemental calories that I had done the Ironman the year before on. So it's it's the 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 results, the gut distress, the stamina, uh, the the body composition. I, I can't imagine going back to another way of sports nutrition or or lifestyle nutrition. Wow, that that's a pretty incredible story, John. So you you said that you started going to this low carb approach and you felt better than you ever did before. Is did you feel better than when you first started the vegan diet? You know, the, there's a there's a real strong correlation there. Um, when I started the vegan diet, 
basically what I had done is I had cut out a lot of the processed uh, garbage that was in my diet. Um, I, I tried as much as possible not to eat things with barcodes on it. Um, I wasn't eating a lot of the processed food. I was, you know, the, to, to use the cliched phrase, I was shopping the perimeter of the store. I was shopping a lot more at farmer's markets. Um, and so I wasn't getting a lot of that processed, like I wasn't, it wasn't big bowls of pasta. Um, so that in a, in, in, in a, in and by itself, the fact that I was cutting down on the processed starches, the processed carbohydrates and the bad vegetable and seed oils that are in all those processed foods, just the loss of inflammation and the, the, the regulation of insulin from that alone was enough to really kind of make me feel good. What I didn't realize at the time was that I still had, I mean, I, it was it was nothing for me to eat a, a, a one and a half sweet potatoes with some quinoa and vegetables, you know, and, and maybe some beans. I mean, the, the fact that beans has to be your primary source of protein on a vegan diet, but yet there is a four to one, uh, and depending on the bean, a three to one carbohydrate to protein ratio. So if you're trying to maintain a certain level of carbohydrate in your diet and beans are your main source of protein, you're always going to be 60 or 70% calorically in the carbohydrate uh, as, a, as a vegan if you want to get enough protein to repair muscles and, and be an athlete. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and look, and body, com- body chemistry is different for everybody. There are people for who that works. I wasn't one of those people. Right. Uh, when, when, I, when, I tweaked, when I tweaked it and when I, when I took out what I didn't realize were the big insulin spikes from the, the amount of starch that I still had, even with a good, responsible vegan diet. Uh, once my body didn't have to deal with those insulin spikes and my hunger regulation became a non-issue, that's when I really, really started feeling good. Mm-hmm. John, how much do you think it was due to adding the meat in your diet? Because I had a, a woman on the show, Lear Keith, and she was on a vegan diet for many years, and, and she says she suffered a lot of health consequences from not getting a lot of the, the vitamins that are in uh, meat. And do you think that you started feeling better because of the low carb, or was it the addition of meat or a combination? What do you think it was? It, it, was, it was a combination. It was the, the low carb takes the insulin out. Um, I- insulin is a nasty, terrible, <laughs> dark, depressing <laughs> excuse me, hormone in your body. Um, and it, and it, and it needs and it wants, right? So you, you put, you put a food in your body that creates an insulin spike and insulin needs and wants more of that. And so that's when you get on that insulin roller coaster. Well, without, with, with not having my body subject to that insulin roller coaster, that sugar crash, that made me feel better. But there is, I mean, there are, there's certain things that you cannot get from a vegan diet. You cannot get enough. You cannot get good sources of vitamin B, vitamin B12, vitamin B6 from a vegan diet. You cannot get. There's no such thing as a, there's a conjugated linoleic acid, which is a, 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 a component of grass-fed butter of, of meat, and, and it is and it is an essential component to help metabolizing fat. You cannot get that from a plant source. You can't get. A hema iron from a plant source. You can get a non-hema iron, and you can add vitamin C to your diet, and it upregulates at six by a factor of six. But still, it's a it's a it's a dent in in the armor of what hema iron in the form of animal protein can do. And there's also another component, and this is something that actually I heard an interview with Lierre Keith, and she explained this, and it made perfect sense. Towards the end of my vegan diet. 
I, it, and I was also I was overtrained for a for the Ironman in Louisville, so that had a a, a part in this. But I was also starting to get kind of depressed, mm-hmm. and I was starting to have real bad mood swings, and I didn't know what to attribute it to. And there is tryptophan in meat is crosses the blood brain barrier. It's an amino acid in meat crosses the blood brain barrier and turns into serotonin in your brain. Well, if you there's no tryptophan in a plant based source. So your your body is deprived of all these compounds, all these amino acids that can get across the blood-brain barrier and basically turn those pleasure receptors in your brain on, those satisfaction receptors. And without it, you can almost start to get depressed. Again, there, there are people that for whom that's not a problem. I was one of those people for whom it was a problem. In Anecdotally, in me talking to people who have done both, uh, everybody that I talk to seems to report the same thing. But there is just this feeling of euphoria after you eat a good piece of. Now it's got to be. Here's the thing: it's got to be good, locally grown, grass-fed meat. Like it can't. Like there's there's nothing more horrific and and unnatural and non non nutritional than factory farmed meat. Factory farmed eggs. Fa- you know, mass produced meat. This has no nutritional value. You're, 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 eating, you're eating antibiotics. You're eating misery, basically. Mm. So I almost say that now it's, it doesn't all have to be meat, 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 meat. I probably eat meat three days a week maybe. Um, I eat oily fish uh, two or three days a week in the form of uh, most often, sometimes salmon, but most often in the form of, uh, of wild-caught sardines, a great source of omega-3. I mean, usually lunch for me is a sardine salad. Um, with a little bit of homemade mayonnaise and uh, and leafy greens, and so uh, you know, are those I'll, sardines like in a can, or how does how, yeah, where do you get the wild caught? Oh yeah, sardines in a can. There's a Costco right by my house, and they sell a six pack of the sardines for something like ten bucks, and I'll just load up on that and um, uh, mix it up with a little bit of uh, relish, and I make a homemade mayonnaise from olive oil, and uh, and it it's like the best tuna salad you've ever had, and it's it's a it's a fantastic source of omega three. And if you get a good olive oil, that's a little bit of good omega-6 because everybody talks about you know, the, the thing that everybody wants to talk about with a low-carb lifestyle is carbs, 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 and the sugar's effect on the body. But the thing that a lot of people don't talk about are the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fats and the amount of omega-6 fats that people consume that causes a lot of the inflammation, a lot of the joint problems. When I was running before, before I started gaining my weight, and I had a lot of uh, a lot of bad oils and a lot of processed foods in my diet, I had a really bad patellar tendonitis on my left knee, so much so that I ran for years with a chopad. Mm-hmm. And it, my only other choice was surgery, so it's sort of, I'll just run with a chopad. And then as soon as I got all that out of my diet, uh, with starting with the vegan diet, my patellar tendonitis went away. And so because I didn't have a lot of those processed vegetable oils in my diet, and I still don't, you know, a lot of people think it's you get these swollen joints and you know, long-distance running for some people and multi-sport for some people can cause injury if you're not careful. And having bad joints and having bad connective tissue because of your diet is something that people really don't, don't look at. So once, a, once or twice a week, I have a big soup of bone broth. Uh, it's a great my, my butcher shop uh, sells bone broth. You can make bone broth at home in a crock pot. Great source of collagen. Great source of connective tissue. Because you know when we when we go out and eat meat, a lot of people are only eating the same four or five cuts of muscle meat. 
We're not eating the in modern society. We're not eating the liver. We're not eating the heart. We're not making. We're not eating the marrow in in, in the form of of a bone broth. We're not eating the brain. We're not eating the tongue. We're not eating all these parts of the animal that that mankind has eaten since they've been killing animals for food. And each one of these things, each one of these these meats, adds something to your total health. You know, once a week I eat either liver or heart. Once a month or so I'll eat uh, I'll eat brain. I'll eat cow's brain. Uh, once a month or so I'll eat tongue. Once or twice a week I'll eat bone broth. And so it's not again, it's not just grill up a steak and have you know vegetables with it. It's that's every night. That's not the way it is. I mean, you kind of have to take a total approach to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we had another uh, friend on the show. His name is Chris Hag, and he's a pretty fast runner. He and uh, he he said the same thing as you is that he doesn't do a lot of uh, meat in his diet. Actually, he does mostly vegetables, but includes some of those healthy fats and and tries to get a good variety in there. And uh, I really like how you're going into the details of what you actually eat. Tell, give me a little bit of a breakdown, like you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because you know you had a pretty incredible weight loss story. And I'm sure people are wondering, you know, kind of guide me through what kind of foods you're you're eating. Sure, um, breakfast is one of three things. It is either a cup of fatty coffee, which is a cup of coffee with, and I buy a, a mold and toxin-free coffee from a local coffee roaster here in New Orleans. We have a we have a, we're a big port of entry for from uh, Central America, so the coffee uh, that's available retail here is kind of it's almost embarrassing how good it is in some places. And so I it's so once a week it's either a, a cup of fatty coffee that I'll mix a tablespoon or two of grass-fed butter with a tablespoon of MCT oil in a blender. And when I drink that, I'm usually not hungry until about two or three in the afternoon. So it's either that or an egg yellow omelet, which is four eggs including four yolks and two whites. And in that, I will always put uh, either dino kale or broccoli or whatever vegetables might be left over in the um, in the fridge, and I'll make an omelet from that. Or I'll make a smoothie with a base of equal parts almond milk and coconut milk, and then um, uh, a cold processed whey protein that I use, and uh, uh, and uh, I'll put some kale or whatever I have, you know, whatever vegetables I have. I probably do the smoothies the least. Um, I'll do those as a matter of convenience. But I prefer to eat food than drink it. Um, lunch is always the same thing. It is always a salad as big as I can fit in the bowl. Um, I, my my greens of choice are dino kale, uh, Swiss chard, red chard. Um, I like red kale. Uh, the, the the heartier and the leafier the greens, the better. Um, I will usually make a homemade mayonnaise based dressing with that, just an olive oil uh, olive oil mayonnaise that I'll make at home. And then, like I said, on that, more often than not, um, it's uh, it's uh, the sardines, and or if I have some leftover protein, some leftover meat, or whatever it is, leftover fish from the night before, that'll go on there. And dinner is once a week. It is a big bowl of like a Vietnamese pho style soup that I made. I made it last night, and uh, I made it with meatballs, broccoli, and kale, and uh, I, and I, I kind of put some star anise and some other flavors in there. So that's one day a week, and then the rest of the rest of dinner is easy. It is a protein and a vegetable, and that's it. And if I want a little bit of a salad, uh, usually I'll have that with dinner. But usually my salad at lunch is so obnoxiously large that I don't want a salad with dinner. And, that, and, that, and that's it. You know, it's not it's not any 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 secret. It's just you know, it's a protein and a vegetable, and that's you know, and, and there's no snacks. And people are like, oh, what do you snack on? I don't I don't need to snack. I don't want to snack. Uh, the my my the way I eat is so satisfying to me that. I, I, 
don't ever really think about food. I don't, I don't, I don't get in the habit of, oh, well, it's noon, I've got to eat, or it's, you know, I've got the three o'clock crash, and let me, let me go see what's in the candy jar, at, at, you know, in my office. Um, I just, I don't snack, and I don't really need to worry about things in between meals. If I do, um, on the mornings that I'll have a, uh, the, uh, the fatty coffee, and I'll, I'll go past two or three o'clock, usually I'll bring like a boiled egg or two with me, or I'll bring, a handful of almonds or something just as a little bit of a snack to get me over until dinner, but uh, sometimes I don't even need that. Mm. That's pretty That's pretty cool. That sounds pretty tasty as well. Now, I know you've had Paul Jaminet on your show, and he advocates having a small amount of carbohydrates in the diet. What's your take on that? Do you include any of those safe starches? You know, uh, when I was training for Ironman, if I'm, in a, if I'm in a real hard training cycle, I do. Um, I... When I was in my training cycle, and even now, I'm, I'm in a state of dietary ketosis. And the one, and Paul Jaminet doesn't talk about ketosis a lot, but he, you know, he also thinks it's a good, it can be a good thing. And he talks about adjusting your your starches down. You know, the on, on days I would train really, really hard, I might go as much as 100 grams, 125 grams. Um, this is this would be a day where I had a seven-hour bike ride followed by a one-hour run, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but usually it was in the 50 to 75 grams a day, and a lot of that was um, was starches from uh, again things like taro root uh, or or tapioca or um, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, if, if, as much starchy vegetables you know as I as I could. Um, anything like 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 plantains. Paul Jamney talks about plantains. I don't like plantains. It contains a lot of fructose. Fructose in general is a pretty worthless uh, nutrient. So as much as I could stay away from fructose as possible, I did. I did. Uh, the only kind of quote-unquote processed starch I would have would be white rice. I would have about a third a cup or a half a cup of white rice um, the night before a big training session. Uh, but none of that seemed to knock me out of ketosis. Um, when I'm not training for anything in particular, I probably go below 50 grams a day. I'm somewhere in the 30 to 50 gram a day of carbohydrate. And all of that is all from natural plant-based sources. Gotcha, gotcha. So have you been able to get your family on board with this approach to eating? Um, well, I, I have. Uh, my, my wife has. Um, she has uh, She has not complained. She hasn't necessarily embraced it. Um, she certainly hasn't <laughs> gone down the rabbit hole with uh, learning all the, the ins and outs of it like I have. But uh, she is a, uh, she's a marathon runner and just started to stick her toe in the water, no pun intended, of triathlon this year and She's actually going to, uh, she did some last year and she's doing longer distance this year. And so she's ramping up to, uh, to, to train for this in a, in a, in a low carb, uh, metabolically efficient manner for this race. And she seems to enjoy it. And then, uh, the rest, I've, I have little kids and, you know, little kids need, they need carbohydrates and they need fats, uh, believe it or not. But the thing that kids need the least is protein. Mm. So, you know, you tell kids, eat your meat, eat your meat. No, eh, let them eat. Let them eat butter and uh, and rice. You know, that's my. I have a seven-year-old daughter, and sometimes she just wants to eat butter and rice for dinner. And I couldn't be happier to give her good Kerrygold grass-fed butter with, uh, you know, half a cup of, or so of steamed rice. That's mm -hmm. that's a great dinner for a seven-year-old girl, full of growth hormone. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your performance. You said you know it's really helped you lean out. It's helped you feel better. But what are your times like? Are you are you running your what you were in the past? How is that going for you? Well, uh, the short answer is yes. It's absolutely improved my times. It's, it's kind of funny. The uh, my average time in Ironman has 
been about level, but the races I've, I've done have gotten a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you can certainly, you know, uh, adjust for that. But the thing that I've noticed, um, isn't so much in race times, but it is in, in pacing. In particular, as you pay attention to math training and you, you stay in an aerobic zone, eating like this gives you it, it, so, Part of staying in a math zone is so that you don't trigger those yourself as a sugar burner, and even if you're a carbohydrate-based athlete. With metabolic efficiency and fat adaptation, it's almost kind of a double whammy, right? Like you, you, you can reach into your fat stores and use those as fuel in such a, a more efficient manner. And so what happens there is that you're stressing your body less and less. And I'm fine that I'm able to run faster, and longer at math than I was before. I find that that uh, and it is uh, we. I live in a very flat area, but we have just a brutally oppressive summer um, with with insane amounts of humidity. And before, if I would go on, let's say, a three hour run in ninety five degrees at eighty plus percent humidity, before that would have taken me out. That would have taken me two to three days to recover from. It it, it would have really wiped me out. And now I can run that same run at about 20% faster and get up the next morning and go and train again uh, because my body isn't as stressed out nutritionally as it was, and I'm able to recover a lot faster. And in the session, I'm able to maintain a more uh, a more st- a static cadence and a more static pace, and my pace isn't as erratic as it was before. Gotcha. So t- talk to me a little bit of, a little bit more about metabolic efficiency training. Is that basically training so you're teaching your body to burn more fat? I I don't totally understand that. So yes, okay. So so the the concept is this that in in any athlete, the the, the most topped off athlete that has a carbohydrate in their body, you have about two thousand calories of carbohydrate maximum, and that's enough to probably get you about two and a half, maybe three hours of, of good intense exercise. Conversely, you have 90, 100, 110 plus thousand calories of fat in your body. And this is even the, the, the leanest front of the pack marathoner to you know just the standard middle of the pack uh, age grouper uh, has this incredible fat reserve. So if you can, if you can train yourself, through your diet to eat in a way where your body is burning fat as its fuel 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then you don't need to tap into those carbohydrate stores. And the carbohydrate stores can do the things they need to do. They can keep your liver regulated. They can keep your blood, uh, your, 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 your brain going right. Uh, and, and it can do the things that it needs to do. So, I mean, that's why people get, people get uh, uh, gut distress in a race. That your your digestive system requires so much blood to uh, requires so much blood to digest food that if you you're and you're having to put so much sugar down your throat you know into your system to keep up this caloric deficit that you're that you're burning when you burn sugar as your primary source of fuel that you cause yourself gut distress because you basically have all this sugar sitting in your stomach and because your blood is being pumped out to the muscles there's no blood in your system to help digest food. And so if you're having to take on 100, 125, 150, 200 calories an hour during a marathon or a long-distance event, at some point, when you, if you're stressed, your stomach will stop digesting that food. 
What metabolic efficiency does is it allows you that same level of intensity and maybe even greater intensity while needing to maybe ingest 25 calories an hour or less or maybe 100 calories every other hour. And you do it in a form that doesn't create an insulin spike. And so that insulin spike doesn't keep calling for more sugar. So you're, you're, you, you don't have the mental fog. And, uh, you know, if, if your listener base is a, is a big running base, which obviously they are, you know that if you're a gel type person, that before you need a gel, if you really need a gel, you're angry and you're irritable and you take that gel. And as soon as you take it, it's like the skies opened up. Right. Yeah. And that's because you have brain fog because you have a sugar deficiency in your brain because all the sugar is being depleted through your muscles for, for energy uh, in, in your bloodstream. You get that sugar, your brain starts working again for the 10 or 15 minutes, and then it kind of starts to slowly fade out again. And then you take your gel again, and that's how the cycle. Well, if, you're, if your brain is being fed by sugar because your body is using fat as fuel, then you don't have that mental fatigue and that mental crash during a race as well. And so... By doing this to your body, by eating in what's called a metabolically efficient manner, you need, uh, you need less supplemental calories during, uh, during training and, and, and racing, and you are, you are never triggering that sugar-burning uh, function in your body. And so your body's always operating, operating at that efficient level. Gotcha. So does that involve heart rate training as well? I mean, you said there was a double whammy. So do you have to train in this yeah, sort of no, it, zone two as well? It, cer- it certainly helps. It certainly helps. If you, uh, Bob Sibahar, who is really kind of the guy that put a lot of this metabolic efficiency training uh, into action. He's not the guy that in- invented the concepts, um, but he's certainly the guy that put it into into action for uh, for multi-sport athletes. He was the he was a, uh, an Olympic nutritionalist. For the U.S. Uh, Olympic uh, triathlon teams, he's done some other work at the uh, 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 at the U.S. Olympic facility, uh, kind of teaching the principles of metabolic efficiency. And his theory is that you can still race at a zone three, maybe even zone four, and still realize the benefits of metabolic efficiency um, on race day, provided that you do a lot of your training. You, you know, you, you, you still pay attention to. A math zone. You still do a lot of zone training and 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 interspersed speed training when you need to. And on race day, you can light it up and you can still race at an intense level and realize the benefits of this. My experience has been that if you stay in math and train in math, that the benefits are even greater. And that you know anybody who trains in math knows that it's just about time and patience, and you'll eventually get there. And I, I wish I didn't train in math up until last year. And I'm only a year into it. I wish I'd started 10 years ago. I mean, it just, it, it's, I, I, the, the benefits of math training to me are, are, it's, it's immeasurable. And then you combine that with a diet that accentuates the metabolic pathways that you're trying to achieve by math training anyway. And, uh, and, and it all kind of, that's where I talk about it being a double whammy. So you're, you're training your fat burning mechanisms by both uh, training in a heart rate zone, in an aerobic heart rate zone, and you're also fine-tuning those metabolic pathways via your diet as well. Mm-hmm. Well, John, that, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. Uh, you know everything you've learned and, and put together within the past year. You know, uh, is there any tips for people who want to try this out? Um, you know, things that you've learned just along the way that you had to tweak that that you want to just put out there. Uh, yeah. 
if if you're gonna try it, don't don't try it ten weeks away from your A race. Uh, this is this is something that you want to this is something that you want to uh, to start in in a dead period in the off season. And it's also not going to happen overnight. A, a lot of us, me in particular, I'm, I'm the I'm the case study for this. You're you're untraining uh, decades of metabolic of, of, a, of a certain type of metabolic uh, way that you've you know you've eaten, and so you're not going to over you're not you're not going to undo that in a week. You need to kind of give it at least thirty days and be committed to it. Um, and so those you know those two things that know your plan before you're going to get started. Um, being this, being fat adapted isn't a license just to eat however much fat you want. It's the right kinds of fats. And so, you know, follow, you know, listen, listen to podcasts, pick up, pick up Finney and Volick's book. Um, Peter Atia has a, a blog called the eating Academy. Um, that is, he's, he's a long distance athlete. He's a long distance cyclist and a swimmer. Uh, guys like Peter Atia, uh, the Vinnie Tortorich, uh, has, has a podcast, um, uh, Finney and Volk's book, Bob Sebahar's book. Learn, you know, read up on it. Take a few weeks to read up on what it is you're going to do. Find a dead time of the year to do it, and give it at least 30 days. And you won't, you won't uh, kill yourself in 30 days. Uh, and then you've got to, you know, like I said, take that 10 meter platform in the dark, close your eyes, and just jump off and have faith that it'll work. <laughs> That's a great metaphor, John. Where can people go to find out more about you? Uh, I am fitfatfast.com and. Uh, that's www.fitfatfast.com and also on Facebook at FitFatFast. Well, John, it's been great talking with you today. Thanks so much for being part of the show. I appreciate your time. Looking forward to it again. You've been listening to another Paleo Runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like Audible.com. Audible has over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner or click on the link displayed on the app right now. Thanks for listening.